Good afternoon. It is Friday, and we are uh, in a glorious sunny day here in Tampa, Florida. I know a lot of folks aren't. It is uh, November 9th, 2012. And we have a, a, a couple of guests on our show today that are back by popular demand. Catherine Crowley and Kathy Elster, welcome back. Thank you. It's great to be back. Yeah, we're delighted. Great. And you guys are, are both from uh, New York. I did hear a little bit of Kathy's uh, sad tale of, of being without power <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and having to move in with someone else, even even living you know in Manhattan. Uh, you know, we uh, we have a lot of executive girlfriends group members who live in uh, New Jersey and uh, uh, in, you know, just along the coast. And uh, I hadn't heard from any anyone who actually lived in the city. So, Catherine, did you have some challenges too? Well, I'm one of those Jersey girls now. And um, mm-hmm. actually, remarkably, we kept electricity on our street, which was, but we were one of very few. And the, the story in Jersey, if you weren't on the shore, is just all the fell trees so most of the towns in my town were blacked out and the strangest thing really was that we couldn't get into manhattan so uh that's what it was wow well why don't you guys start and you know i'll let you are are you guys in the same facility or are you on different phones we're on different phones in the same facility (laughs) okay well that that's fine because we get better sound quality that way so thanks so much well then then i'll just direct you Catherine. why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and then we'll shift over to kathy and then uh, you know throughout your own personal story she can talk about how the two of you got together Mm, sure. Well, I am a uh, psychotherapist, and actually I came to it not immediately, but a little later in life. I did the Peace Corps very early on. That formed a huge, made a huge difference for me, and I realized I cared a lot about people's stories and experiences and trying to empower others. And I actually ended up getting my degree in psychology after being in one of Kathy's business support groups many years ago. Uh, I was working for a healing foundation, and she had kindly let me come in to these fabulous women's, mostly women, but women and men business owner uh, support groups, and they told me that the business I was working on was lovely but a complete failure in terms of its design. <laughs> and But they thought I was terrific and I should go to get a degree, so I went to Harvard and got a degree in adult development and came back and reconnected with Kathy, and that was how we started to form our information. Well, terrific. And, uh, Kathy, why don't you give us your your uh, thumbnail? Well, let's see. To make the story short, um, I started out in the fashion industry, and I found after a couple of years that I wasn't that interested in what people were wearing. I was more interested in who they were. Mm-hmm. And uh, that started me on a whole, you know, exploration into what I could do next. And when Catherine met me, I was running these support groups for business owners because as a business owner from the fashion industry, I felt a strong need to have people to talk to as a woman. You know, there wasn't that much support. I mean, even lawyers were saying, girls, you know, you should just get a job. You know, I'm a little bit older, so there weren't that many women in the workplace. But right. when Catherine came back from Harvard, I was a management consultant to these small businesses, and I kept I wanted to solve business problems, but I kept running into people problems. And she was able to explain to me, oh well, you know that salesperson that can't make those calls that you want them to make has call reluctance. 
and that bookkeeper, that woman who can't fire her bookkeeper, she the bookkeeper's really her mother. And she, I mean, not not literally, but figuratively, right. she had right. turned it in. So Catherine really opened my eyes to the psychology about people's behavior, and we started to bring that into the workplace, certainly undercover, because people didn't <laughs> want to. Yeah, they didn't want to hear uh, in the early '90s that you were talking about therapy at work. Um, and but we've been doing it for that long. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting because I, I interviewed you the last time, and mm-hmm. I, and I, I don't remember uh, which book we were talking about, but you, you had written a couple of books. Uh, one was uh, Working With You Is Killing Me, right. uh, about co-worker relationships and freeing yourself from those emotional traps that you do get into at work. Right. And, and I would also extend that because I'm a consultant, and, uh, you know, this can happen in in consultant client relationships as well and i've I've had clients that were killing me uh, working with them um and and, uh, if you're listening to my show it wasn't you (laughs) (laughs) of course not and then then but i'll I'll have to tell you the the other one had an even greater uh impact on me uh working for you isn't working for me and and this one was um personally uh more interesting to me after we had the interview because mm. I had a couple of situations where I got involved uh in partnerships with other people and they were good people uh you know smart people but the working relationship uh wasn't good and I'll tell you I was the one who they would have been reading this about right <gasps> that working for me wasn't working for them and I sensed it from a different side but the the point of this is how to get ahead when your boss holds you back. And again, you know, it can be your business partner, your your client, whatever. Mm-hmm. But I I had to look at the things in myself, uh, and, and that that can be you know a little bit painful. But it it was a really great point of growth. And I remembered that I had that book on the shelf, and I thought, oh, you know, what if it's me? And you know, because normally when you read these books, it's like yeah yeah you know they're killing me or you know I can't work <laughs> right. for them. And and you're reading it uh, as as almost an indictment of the other person right, right. instead mm-hmm. of thinking about it being you. So anyway, I had to share that with you guys. I'm so but, glad you told us that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really I really am because I think um, it's it's just really great and affirming for us to hear that. Right. Well, and, and you know, it, it's funny because, uh, you know, I mean, I can see somebody, like, you know, secretly mailing this book to someone <laughs> who needs to be reading it, right? Um, but, you know, uh, that wasn't the case for me. But I do encourage folks who, you know, look at their uh, – the people around them. And I, it's not always an employee-employer relationship, uh, at least not in my case, because I've been a sole proprietor uh, consultant for the last, uh, oh, gosh, 17 years now. Um, but anyway, we're going to shift gears just a little bit, but I did want to bring those up because I know a lot of people who are listening to this show today uh, are in various difficult working relationships, and I wanted to let them know that even if they're not working with mean girls, which is the topic of our call today, mean girls at work, how to stay professional when things get personal, um, you know, I think that can actually be an outgrowth of some of these other two books that you wrote to begin right. with so i encourage absolutely to go back and read those um you know you've got some free quizzes that are are on your your website which uh, by the way you didn't mention your company name uh so i will do that for you and, and i love clever company names and of course now knowing that we've got katherine and kathy it is k 
www.squaredenterprises.com. So uh, you can take a look at all of their books there. But uh, let's talk about why you wrote Mean Girls at Work and why that was really the logical follow-on to the other two. Yeah, I'll start. It's so funny because every time we write a book, we think we're done. (laughs) <laughs> you know, we wrote Working With You is Killing Me. Said, okay, well, that was the ultimate. We're done. And then, of course, then we realized, well, we didn't really talk too much about bosses. So then we wrote that, Working For You Isn't Working For Me. And we really thought we were done after that. Mm-hmm. And then um, a client asked us to give a lecture to women in technology. And she said, we want you to talk about women haters. And honestly, we didn't know what a woman hater was. I had never heard that term. Catherine had never heard it. We we were a little horrified. And we said, you know, we don't know what that is. And she explained it's covert competition, uh, women on women. And, you know, we said, look, we don't don't touch that. And she said, well, they want to pay you for it, so you might want to look into it, which we did. (laughs) (laughs) Thank business owners. (laughs) That was the motivation. So, um we started to do some research. We started to ask our clients, and we started to look at the books that were out on the subject. Not many, by the way. And we came up with this lecture, and we gave it. And, Chicky, the room was full. And the mm-hmm. the faces on these women, we knew that we had hit a nerve. We weren't, we weren't sure if we were happy about it, but we yeah. knew that we hit a nerve and that this needed to be addressed. Right. In fact, we called the the uh, lecture "Competitive Women at Work: From Fighting to Uniting," because we didn't want to go into that term "woman haters." And then we also really looked at the statistics after that lecture, and you know, the fact that women comprise almost fifty percent of the workforce, so women are getting almost seventy percent of the advanced degrees, and realized that this thing, this dynamic of women working with each other and also competing with each other was only going to grow. Mm-hmm. Right. So uh, talk us through the, the preparation that you did. Is this a book where you did a lot of interviews, or, or did you do a lot of statistical research, uh, anecdotes from your own lives? Uh, tell us what, what how the book is structured. Well, you know, we did do a lot of interviews, and that's not something we have always done. Yeah. Um, but this time we really wanted to hear it straight from the women. And we put out PR queries and got lots of women to interview, which, again, you know, we weren't that happy with this, that, wow, one story after another, and you really couldn't make them up. So while we were, you know, listening to these stories and taking tons of notes, we then started to see that there were categories, you know, and and also by hearing the stories, they triggered stories that we had in our own lives and that right. we had seen with all of our clients that maybe we kind of had a cloud over our eyes, didn't really right. notice it. So we started to see that there were these categories that women Right, you call in. that the different faces of mean. Yes, right, book. right. The more also, though, I just want to jump in and say we did look at research, Chicky, and yes. we looked at there was a book preceding ours several, I think 10 years ago, in the company of women, really well-written, really well-researched, which studied the dynamics of women relating to women at work, and where um, Pat Heim and the two other co-authors, Murphy and Gollin, they came up with some very clear terms, and one which is called the no-compete rule, which is that women are not as comfortable in hierarchical situations with each other. So that was an important piece of information for us, Female brain chemistry was important information, the fact that we 
uh, we have two language centers in both lobes of our brain that we have that we have feeling thought that we're processors and so all that also fed into these categories that we came up with and to the solutions that we came up with for solving mean girl situations well and you know and this starts really really early on it doesn't begin in the right. workplace i mean i've got a daughter who's 14 And she just recently went back uh, into high school at a private school that she had been in from third to fifth grade. Mm -hmm. And I have got to tell you, the girls there, even though this was a Christian school with a Christian worldview, in grade school, those girls were mean, right? Mm -hmm. And she was terrified to go back yeah. there from the social perspective. She wanted to be, you know, back there, uh, you know, for the education and, and the environment. But i got to tell you, mean girls scared her. So it doesn't start in the workplace. Right. That's right. right. And also it doesn't, it's, it is, I mean, there's always the question of uh, nature versus nurture. But both Kathy and I have seen studies of other animals, and the female gender <laughs> has this thing. Yeah. Uh, on the one hand, it tends and befriends. It needs to connect. We need to connect with other women. Right. We need to form those bonds and help each other survive and hand, and deal with the stronger forces out there. And on the other hand, we are conflicted because there's a certain degree of naturally of competition among the women. So it creates this natural tension. And, you know, I know you, you talked about how when, when all of this was coming up, you know, you really didn't want to go there. That's so <laughs> so what, what is this about uh, your don't-go-there process and, uh, you know, how, how did that play out for you? Well, we realized that there was this natural process that women go through where when they feel attacked – and we feel attacked when a woman looks at us the wrong way or mm-hmm. maybe she turns her back on us. I mean, we, we feel attacked really quite often. And what happens is once we feel attacked, all of the feelings come up. That's the, sort of the natural, oh, my God, I feel attacked. And because we're processors, we usually want to go to somebody, tell them the story. You're not going to believe what she just did to me. Mm-hmm. We, go to the, we tell the story, and we usually end the story with, I'm never talking to her again. So we kind of laid out that process, what she does, how you're going to feel, and then we say don't go there, which is usually Mm -hmm. the thing you want to do, which is a counterattack. Right, right. And then after that, we tell you where to go, a more professional way, how to cool down in a more professional way of handling what you think the attack was. And then the last step, mm -hmm. I'm sorry? Go ahead. No, no, keep going. Well, the last step of that is going forward. We give you a little psychological insight into what that woman is going through, um, or, or who she is, rather, so that you can um, not take her so personally, not take her behavior personally. Right, right. And you talked about some of the kind of the silent weapons that women use against each other, and, and quite often they don't even know that they're doing them. And I, and I have to tell you that uh, this this has been one of the things that has plagued me is that when I walk in a room, I'm not terribly observant. I mean, my husband will tell you that this is probably one of his biggest issues with me, is that I don't really see the things around me. So I don't walk into the room and take stock. And and so it is quite possible that someone might feel slighted when I walk into a room because I may not look at them and acknowledge them, whereas somebody else I'll see and I may go up and hug them. Um, so that you know, is such I, a great example. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and I don't do it 
deliberately, but I can see how someone might feel like I was being exclusionary. And, and I had a woman that I worked for for a number of years that had she had her inner circle, and it wasn't until I got to know her later that I realized she she wasn't exclusionary. She was painfully shy. Ah. Uh. Ah, and boy, I misinterpreted what I saw. So talk to me a little bit before we move on to talk about the meanest of mean, which is is the beginning of the second chapter. Well, I'll jump in for the meanest of the mean. That's really, I think, well, I'm sorry, that you were asked about the silent weapons. Yeah, I wanted to just get oh, some of these the out there. Oh, what the silent weapons are, yes. Right, because yeah, again, you, you made the start point. With your favorite? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I think we're kind of uh, brought up um to compete it, it with silently, um, and I think it goes. I, I, I personally think that this is the uh, way we're brought up. That this is um, society. That women are taught to roll their eyes and um, you know point fingers or turn your back. And I, I, so there's we. I think we have seven of them, or maybe twelve of them. Different ways that twelve. Different ways that we without saying a word. We can bring a woman down, and right? But my, my, well, my favorite is the up and down scan. Yeah, you know that says mm. I'm judging you. Yeah, you, you know what you know what that is, Chicky. Uh, I have been uh, subject to that. Yeah. <laughs> Say that again. You what? I have been subject to that. Someone yeah, has done it, that to me. It's humiliating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. So th- these these are the silent weapons. These are the way we roll our eyes if a, if a woman says something that you know we don't like her. We let that be known to everybody. Mm-hmm. And these these can really wreak havoc. Yeah, and I'll jump in and just say my specialty is the averting her gaze. I was uh, sharing that I do that with my husband <laughs> when I'm mad at him. You know that thing of not yes. looking at the person, which t- says I'm mad at you. I want nothing to do with you. Right. Sighing is another one. Yes. Well, one of the things that you said, and I I don't remember which one of you said it, um, you know, you talk about, uh, you know, kind of this, there's the intentional meanness, and then, you know, that everything I exude gives that off, and I don't even know I'm doing it. But, you know, I've heard the saying that, you know, hurt people hurt people. And, And so this issue of meanness, uh, can come out of their their own hurt uh, as opposed to just being a tactic for getting ahead. So let's move on to the meanest to the mean. Yeah, these are the tough ones. I mean, these are the ones that really um, stand out. Um, you know, basically what you have to know about her is that she's really incapable of seeing somebody else's point of view. They're very narcissistic. And we, the good news is that there's not that many of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're not the bulk of the mean girls. But when you run into somebody who is so cold, they're the ice princesses. She's so cold and so indifferent to you. You cannot bond with her. She's incapable of bonding. And, you know, as women, we like to bond. So that's the problem with her. And you really cannot win with her. Yes, the meanest of the mean is very confusing because you may just – what we do with gal- we gals, we say, you know, the, how was your weekend? Did you do anything interesting? How are you feeling? And she will just take absolutely no interest in that because she views all women as adversarial. Right. Now, these women tend to do well in the workplace. They can move up the ladder mm-hmm. because they're very good at managing up. 
but they will bring everyone below them down. Right. Right. So that harsh and demeaning feedback, putting you down publicly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, the Ice Princess. We had one of our interviews. This woman was describing this her colleague who was just absolutely cold to everyone and treated everyone as if they were her servants. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this the woman who we were interviewing could not believe that this individual felt that it was okay to do that. Mm. So um, as you were interviewing uh, people, uh, again, I think there, there are two sides of this story, the, the person who is accused of being this and the person <laughs> who actually uh, is uh, doing this as a part of who they are, as a part of a, a strategy. And mm-hmm. and were you were you able to distinguish that of of the unintentional actions that were a part of you know again my observation of this other woman was you know she was shutting everybody out and you had to be part of her inner circle when you know really I I, I didn't know how how very painfully shy she was so um, you know talk to me just a little bit about that because I think understanding mean girls uh, that's a really important piece to me. And that's a big question. Catherine, you're the therapist. Yeah, <laughs> what I would say, Tiki, is it's very hard. To, it is difficult to make the distinction, but I would say that the way to determine, like the person who's extremely shy, that she would go more under our category of doesn't mean to be mean. And right. those are often the individuals who are, in fact, very self-absorbed. It could be in shyness. It could be in insecurity. But their behavior has them always turning inward. So you don't know. So what I would say tactically, the difference between that individual and the meanest of the mean is if you were to approach, and the one thing a woman can do is you sort of need to test them out a little bit. If you were to approach your shy friend or colleague individually, you would discover that she actually is not so horrible, right? You were taking right. her nonverbal cues and interpreting them in a way. So we need to check our assumptions. Yeah, exactly. Because if the nonverbal cues are saying to you, you're a meanie, but the individual actually is not such, you just need to test it out. Right. Whereas with the meanest of the mean, when you approach that individual and say, you know, how's it going? What have you been up to? You will get the exact same message from them, which is, go away, I have no interest in you, and I have no concern whatsoever for what you care or want or think about. Right. And I don't right. I don't know if it's really a strategy. I think it's the way they're they're designed, the way they're built. Yeah. So I don't really know if much of this is a strategy actually. I mean when we get into the very mean, that's I think when we explain that, you'll see it's not really a strategy. It's a it's an insecurity. Right, but I, but I take a look at at you know uh, one of the last parts of that chapter, which is you know she hacks into your private communications yeah. and then uses them against you. I mean that's a strategy. I mean that that isn't oh sorry I was born this way. Well, <laughs> so, so it, yeah. Well, when you get into this category, the very mean, what happens is she's very insecure inside. She seems very tough on the outside, but she's very insecure on the mm-hmm. inside. So her way of getting ahead is to bring everyone else down who's a threat to her. She likes the people that are not a threat to her. She's not mean to them. So in a way, that, that it's more about her insecurity right. than it is a, you know, about a strategy. 
But actually, I think, Chicky, you're bringing up a really, really important point, which is that when we are uh, the target the targets of a meanest of the mean girl or a very mean girl, it's, it, their their cruel behavior certainly looks intentional and probably is intentional. And I think what Kathy's speaking to and what we've learned over and over again is that in a sense they can't help themselves. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not about understanding and forgiving necessarily, but it is right. about understanding that structurally they aren't built the same way we are. And so a meanest of the mean person, she, everyone is an adversary because she can't feel or think differently. That right. is the way she is inside. Right, right. I understand that. So so at the end of the chapter, uh, each of the chapters, you've got a section called Just Between Us Girls. So is are, are these my coping strategies for if I, if I do work with or for one of these uh meanest of the mean what do i do how do i behave do i just ask for a transfer (laughs) (laughs) or 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 look for a new job i mean in many cases i I would say in the meanest of the mean you're not really going to bond or win and if you can get transferred if you can get moved away um that would that might work but you know, we've also seen that if you don't allow her to bother you, you just do do your work and don't get brought down by her behavior, she she tends to leave you alone. Right. Yeah, I think what's interesting in your point about the just between us girls and actually the introduction of each chapter, at the beginning of each chapter and the end of each chapter, we sort of tell you what we think, they're, where they're coming from and what's possible and honestly, with the meanest of the mean, the best you can do is protect yourself. So that's why the tips we give are about staying in good mental shape and not letting her get into your head, being kind to yourself. You know, it's not uh, you're not going to be jumping up and down, waving pom-poms because you are victorious over this person, but you can protect yourself from her toxic behavior. And as Kathy said, the less... Uh, you respond and are impacted by her, the less likely she is to go after you. Right. But they they are very difficult to be around. And, you know, it's interesting. Um, if you meet any of them, they have pretty lonely lives. Yes. You know, they are pretty isolated um, because they don't bond well with people. So um, most people do not want to stick around. Right. So let's move on uh, to the very mean. What what are the distinguishing characteristics of the very mean girl? Well, as I was saying before, she's very tough on the outside, but she's actually extremely insecure on the inside. So she has a need to bring down the women around her because she, if she sees you as competition. And again, she's not even aware of it. She doesn't even know she's doing it. It's just her defense mechanism against anyone who's a threat to her. Right. You know, this reminds me of, uh, again, kind of coming back to my, my daughter's situation, and I remember my own uh, junior high days of, of the popular girls, mm-hmm. right? The popular girls actually were the mean girls. And right. that, that popularity, uh, I'm looking at one of the, the first characteristics that you talk about in this chapter, which is that she's a vicious gossip. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that is one of the most hurtful things that happens in, you know, in those early school days when we uh, quite often develop our demeanor of how we behave with other women, even when we get in the workplace. Yep. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. The vicious Got- gossip. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead, Catherine. I was just going to say, gossip is a, a topic that we approach uh, in different ways throughout the book. But I think the thing that's interesting about the vicious gossip is, as Kathy was saying about the insecurity, you, she's not actually coming from a, a wonderful, warm, and fuzzy place. <laughs> right. <laughs> the need to put someone else down is not because you're feeling fabulous about who you are. Right. At the same time, if you are the target of that, it doesn't really matter. What matters is, again, how you protect yourself, how you keep your professional footing in the face of that kind of behavior. Right. Well, as I look through the, the uh, again, the things that you talk about here, you know, she speaks as if you aren't in the room. She publicly makes fun of something that you confided to her. You know, she has... Uh, a negative reaction when you receive praise. I mean, this is classic bullying. It is bullying. That's right. Mhm. It's just another way. It's another terminology. But yes, it is. It all, all is a form of bullying. But you know what's interesting is that sometimes it goes unnoticed by management mm-hmm. because it it happens in a way that's so covert that it's not always noticeable. It's not discernible to people that well, are not in it. Exactly. She praises you publicly but puts you down privately. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's really between the two of you, and and it's something that has to get worked out. And as you, like you were saying before, you have to look at yourself. I mean, there's two sides to this also. Uh, I know if you're being bullied and you're a really nice woman, then that's awful. But we, but we all have to really take a hard look at how much of this we do. Right. And I know in writing this book, I found myself saying, "Ooh, I've done that," more than I wanted to admit. Right. And that's what a lot of people are now admitting to us that they've done it. And I think we, as women, we, we really have to be honest and say to ourselves, you don't have to say it to anyone else, but just say to ourselves, oh, when I feel attacked or when I feel a woman is a threat, I do attack. I do attack her, whether it's gossip or, you know, making, rolling my eyes, but I do. And I think we have to really, this conversation about doing this has to happen. Well, and and to that point, you know, the the last one in this chapter is one that I know I've been guilty of uh, time and time again. You know, she agrees to back you but doesn't. And, you know, for me, again, that's not about being mean. It's, you know, I agree to back somebody in doing something if they hold up their end of the bargain. And then when they don't hold up their end of the bargain, I go off and do it myself, right? And that's right. classic entrepreneurialism, you know, uh, or classic entrepreneurial leadership style in most cases, not necessarily meaning that that's a good thing. So, you know, again, I think you're right. As as you pick up a book like this, one of the challenging things, whether you're reading it because you're in HR, you're reading it because you're a leader and you want to understand, you know, what's going on around you, you really do have to read it with a pen in hand, checking those things about yourself that you need to work on. Right. Uh, Yeah, exactly. I was just going to say, say we're, not, we're not mean in our hearts, but some of the things right. we do are mean. And that's what that's I right. say in raising my children. You know, you're not a bad kid, but what you just did was a bad decision with bad consequences. <laughs> so <clears throat> that's, yeah. that's how I think we have to look at this. Right. Well, 
it is, and also what you mentioned that when someone brings it to your attention, in many of these scenarios, even with the very mean girl, when we say the go here part, it is to arrange to have a private conversation with the individual mm-hmm. and to bring out what you notice the behavior is. You know, right. so to say, it may not be your intention, but you seem to be, you seem to have a hard time with uh, what I said in that meeting, or you seem to be. Uh, unhappy with my performance. And so when you bring it out in the open like that, but in private, you give the other woman the opportunity to have awareness of her behavior. And in some cases, she may deny it, she may not correct it, but in many cases, uh, when brought to our attention, women will try to, to do it differently. Yeah, yes. Well, let's let's move on to uh, Chapter 4, which is about being passively mean. And, and I think that this is uh, probably the largest population. Right. That's right. So talk to us about this. And, again, you start this out talking about gossiping again. Yeah, we talk about gossip throughout the book. We really wanted to write a book about gossip, <laughs> <laughs> which I still do. There's so well, much that could be gossip is mean. <laughs> it really is. Um, so the passively mean, this is, as you said, the bulk, and it's indirect aggression. You know, uh, passively mean women are very conflicted. They want you to like them, and then on the other hand, they want to win at work. Mm -hmm. And I think what we all as women have to learn is that the workplace is competitive and we all want to move up. Maybe not everybody, but most people want to move up. And it's okay to be competitive. And you can be friends and be competitive. And I think we need to be a little bit more upfront about it rather than the way guys do it. Rather than this behind the scenes covert, be nice to my face, but then go back to my boss and say she's not very good at her job. Mm-hmm. So that that to me is really the essence of that chapter. Well, I agree. And, and, and also, reading all of these, th- this is for entrepreneurs and particularly people who run a, a remote uh, workforce. Um, this one is a big one. Um, You know, again, she excludes you from a meeting. Mm -hmm. Uh, She cuts you out of a project. She fails to give you important information. She Mm -hmm. goes behind your back and says she can do a better job. Um, You know, I mean, I have done all of these things. (laughs) And, you know, again, there is not a mean-spirited bone in my body, but, again, it's, you know, the buck stops here, you know, got to get the job done, and there isn't a huge infrastructure to catch it if it falls. So, uh, you know, again, I can see how uh, my own behavior uh, is painfully uh, in this particular category. Well, I'm so glad you're saying that because I admit to a lot of the book also, um, and and it's really changed my life. I mean, I really uh, behave very, very differently since Mm -hmm. writing this book. It's very enlightening. So I'm so glad you're admitting it. I think well, and, and again, I think you know the interesting thing is is the whole term of, of this being passive is you know I, I'm looking at the one she fails to give you important information. I don't sit and say, hmm, I'm going to cut this person out of this information. Right. But I, at the moment, with all of the facts that I have, direct the information to the person who I think can get whatever needs to be done done or who needs to know. And so it isn't an overt 
cutting people out. But again, if you're on the receiving end of not receiving the information and then you have to make a decision and you weren't in on a, a conversation or whatever, and, and this is especially true with any kind of remote workforce, not just you know a consultant who has a bunch of independents working for them like, like I'm uh, in, in that particular situation. But I think anytime you've got people remote, the remote people can often feel cut out. Yes. And and like they, you know, I wasn't included in the email. Well, you know, we were all in a meeting and you were on a conference call on the other end of a phone and, and you know, we did forget about you. But we didn't. We weren't doing it to be mean. It's just out of sight, out of mind. So I, I think uh, this one is a very interesting one. But, uh, again, I, I would agree that if you read through this and think your behavior through and how it's going to be interpreted, you know, you really can correct some of these things. And, and yes. this category of woman is more likely when a approached to say, oh, man, you know, I didn't mean that at all, and and be more mindful the next time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's also, as Kathy was mentioning, what's so great about the uh, well, great about this category is if you bring it to the woman's attention, in some cases, again, she may deny any wrongdoing or any mean intention, but it brings the conversation to light. And I was, it, it's funny you were saying that you do many of these things. I, as Kathy knows, when I space out, I become forgetful, I become exclusionary. I do things that can hurt the other person without even being aware of it. So it's wonderful to um, to realize from the receiving end, like when someone doesn't passively mean, we usually feel betrayed in some way. You know, how could you have done that to me? Right. And yet if we're willing as women to approach the other person and bring it out into the light, a different outcome can be possible going forward. Mm-hmm. Well, and as you're talking about that, it occurs to me that women would naturally put themselves kind of in the next category down. So the passively mean would would put themselves in the don't mean to be mean category. So right. let, let's talk about don't mean to be mean because there there are still some of the same behaviors, spreading rumors. Yeah. Um, I'm going to actually jump in on this one, Chicky, because they this is with the doesn't mean to be mean is usually a very self-absorbed individual. Mm-hmm. Um, we have another one right after which is doesn't know she's mean, but doesn't mean to be mean is usually very self-absorbed, and yet their behavior from that self-absorption, from trying to either win people over or just take care of themselves or get other people's attention, is perceived on the receiving end as mean. So the woman who spreads rumors, she's just trying, you know, she thinks that the, her only value is that she can relay the latest gossip coming from the top of the company. <laughs> right. Right, or the chronically late person, and I have several people in my life who ha- who are this way. She's an endless time optimist and just insisting that the world work her way and her chronic lateness, that's obviously her big problem, but it really does hurt the people around her. Yes. Really and and that one in category. particular, I've I've mentioned this on on previous shows where we have talked about this particular behavior. Uh, I will never forget the day, and it happened to be in in church. Uh, my best friend and her husband were asked to uh, to share that day, and they were talking about uh, you know those things that uh, made up integrity. And you know they were going down through the list, and you know and again you do your own mental checklist, and and they got to being late as a matter of integrity, and I was like. How in the world can they put that in that category? But, 
you know, the more I thought about it, it really is a matter of integrity. And it's one that I have had to work on really, really hard in my own life because I I was born without that time awareness gene. Right. And if I don't look, you know, I mean, I can be sitting right here and, my, you know, I've always got the clock in my upper right-hand corner of my computer, but I, I actually have to shift my eyes up there to see it. And people say, well, why don't you wear a watch? It's I, I tell them because I'd have to actually look at it. You know, I can only be time aware if, if I have a, a clock or a watch. And, and people who are time aware or who being on time, uh, you know, is, is of paramount importance to, they, they can't even fathom that that's actually just a, a missing part of awareness, that it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's possible to train, but it's hard. So, uh, I, again, you know, I, as I look through this list, I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I got a whole lot of check marks I need to work on. <laughs> well, but I think what's interesting here is for the woman who feels attacked by the right. doesn't mean to be mean woman. That's right. Should, should really understand that it's not an attack. And it's not personal to her. So there's no point in counterattacking. You're getting into a battle over nothing. And that awareness to me is so useful to understand that somebody like you who really just doesn't have a sense of time, you're not attacking me. This is not about me. This is about, you know, you. you. Um, So I just think that that helps also to understand that, that there is this whole category, women that don't mean to be mean at all. Right, right, yeah, and the next one, she continually dump, dumps her work on you. I'm picturing her boss last week talking to her about delegating, and now she's trying, you know, to delegate, and she's continually dumping her work on other people, and they don't understand what's behind it, you know. So Right, that's right. Right. One of the things, I think one of the telltale signs, because you're talking about how to distinguish these different kinds of mean, as we say, is when you say, point that out to, you know, if you point out the lateness to the late person or the dumping of work on to the person who seems to be doing that, they're often quite surprised of the impact yes. that their behavior is having on you. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right, and, you know, some of these others, you know, she's less organized than me. She's always depressed. She mm-hmm. uses health problems to get attention. Mm-hmm. She's very moody. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've helped her, but she won't help you. Uh, you know, I, I think all of these things, we have encountered them both in our personal lives and in mm-hmm. our professional lives. And and the people who don't mean to be mean or, or, or who behave this way, eventually we just choose not to spend time with them, right? And and in in the business world, you steer clear of these people because they're the ones who suck the life out of a meeting rather than putting uh, the energy in. Right. And most of our suggestions are about setting healthy boundaries Mm -hmm. with these people. Yeah, in fact, the boundaries, uh, and you call it in this particular uh, chapter in the coffee break, reduce her abuse by setting limits. And I think that boundaries are something that we don't get enough training of how to set boundaries in our I lives. know. That is for sure. Okay. Yeah. Maybe that and could I, be your next book. <laughs> but I think it's hard for women to set boundaries because, again, it's part of that I don't want you to think I'm mean. I don't want you to not like me. But actually, it may sting for a second, but people will, you know, they respect somebody who says your boundaries. Like I, my one of my pet peeves is I really don't like lateness because I have a good sense of time. So if I have a one o'clock appointment with you and you keep me waiting, I will say to you. I'm waiting 15 minutes, and then you can reschedule. And I'm very clear about that. There's not, right. I don't, 
I don't give much wiggle room for time because my time is valuable. And I have to say, people, once that's happened, people don't abuse my time. And they respect that about me. And they'll say, oh, I know I have to be on time for you, so I'm working hard at it. And that works for both of us. So I, I think people actually do respect boundaries. They don't always abide by them, but they try to respect them. Right. So. Well, yeah, and I think the last things that you mentioned in this chapter are all about jealousy. And, you know, getting back to your notion that there there is a level of insecurity brewing mm-hmm. under each one of these. And yep. whether it's she's jealous of your look, she's jealous when you get engaged or married and she's mm-hmm. still single, mm-hmm. you know, she's jealous of your youth, um, you know, wh- whatever that jealousy stems from. So mm-hmm. talk to us about, you know, how do you counter this kind of person? How how do you uh, survive in a workplace where there may be more more than one of these? Mm-hmm. Well, I'll jump in with a few ideas in this realm. The first is I think that what happens when you experience that jealousy is that you feel as if you must have you must be doing something wrong. And uh the truth is that the important thing, let's say if someone is jealous when you get engaged or married, sometimes it's important just to let them have that jealousy. You know, not necessarily have to fix it or cure it. Uh, but you w- do want to continue to build a professional relationship with the individual. So you becoming more real for them. I think in, in several of them we suggest that you you know go have lunch or have a coffee with the individual and tell them a little bit more about your current situation so that they're not just thinking, oh, you've got it all and you're so lucky and you think you're so great. Right. So it's a it's a balance of on the one hand forgiving them for that jealousy, not having to fix it, and on the other hand still trying to forge a relationship based on other possible common connections. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I I really feel that the workplace is not a place to be flaunting anyway, and I think women do. Women flaunt their lavish vacations, they flaunt their engagement rings, they do flaunt, and I don't think that that's why we go to work. I mean, work right. is about producing for the company. and um, So I, I say check it on both sides. Mm-hmm. You know, um, are you, do you want to make people jealous of you? Um, maybe you don't, and maybe there just is some woman there who does not feel good about her life. So anything that happens in your life is, you know, a red flag for her. But mm-hmm. I, I think it's on both sides. Right. Envy and jealousy is something that we heard way too often in our interviews. It's very real, and women experience it uh, a lot. And so the next one, you know, and actually I think these two are so close together, you know, doesn't know she's mean, um, has has a lot of the same kinds of things. She bosses you around. She constantly offers unsolicited advice. She critiques your appearance. You know, her jokes are hurtful. Uh, she infringes on your territory, does your job, makes you look bad, takes credit for your ideas, competes with you for the boss's attention, always has to be right, and is more experienced uh, than you are, so she challenges your authority. So w- what's the, the strategy for this one versus, you know, the previous one who, you know, doesn't mean to be mean but nevertheless is? Well, the great thing, we're actually very fond of this category. <laughs> Why is that? Because it's me? <laughs> yeah, 
Kathy said she really relates to this. I relate to the next group extremely well. But, um, oh, yeah, yeah. Because yeah I can't wait to get to that one. And we're coming up on the 1 o'clock <laughs> hour, so we probably need to blow through this one a little yeah, bit. Yeah, but the intention quickly. of the doesn't know she's mean actually is a good one. She usually, the bossy coworker, the one whose jokes are hurtful, the one who critiques your appearance, they actually think they're helping you. <laughs> and that's the beauty of the behaviors. It's not, there's no malice intended. Right. It's just where they are and they are a little bit controlling and a little bit self-righteous. So what's great about it, so and, and dealing with them is helpful too because usually if you bring the behavior to their attention, they will first say, oh, I didn't realize, you know, you weren't happy right. with that, with my unsolicited advice. And then they will actually attempt to correct themselves. They absolutely back off. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. Yeah, they, they do. Okay. This is actually, we're, we're, this is a better one. This one isn't as bad. Right. <laughs> but I can't wait to get to, to the next one. I'm chomping okay. at the bit because this is actually <laughs> my favorite one because, I, you know, I, I have seen this in my own life. Okay, so this, chapter seven is she brings out your mean. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you she actually brings out the worst in you. So she thinks she's better and smarter than she really is. She's a, a nonstop talker. She asks too many questions, you know, talks uh, to her friends and family all day. Uh, she's rude to you. She's a drama queen. She always favors the newest hire. She wants to gossip with you about others. And, you know, I, I think that this one, um, you know, I, we we have all had this kind of person around us. Catherine? Catherine? Absolutely, yes. I do have to own this one. Sorry. Love this category. I love, I Actually, love how she answered that Catherine off Catherine comes you. into the office and she said, I just realized who I am. This is when we're writing the book. Right. And, I, and I've got the category and this is me. So go uh-huh. ahead, Catherine. Yes. It's true. So here, these characters that we're describing, the drama queen, the nonstop talker, the person who thinks she's smarter and better than she really is, they are coming from a very needy place, Jiggy. You know, they are wanting attention, and they get it one way or another, sometimes by sleeping with the boss, sometimes by um, being a drama queen about what's happening in their lives. And that brings out our worst behavior. In my case, my worst behavior, where I want to be snappy, where I want to gossip about them, where I want to criticize them in a very passive way. And so, really, the challenge with this group is... Number one, absolutely not taking their behavior personally. And number two, interestingly enough, setting boundaries. So with the nonstop talker and the person who talk, who's asked too many questions and the drama queen who has to tell you their latest worst thing that happened to them, it's really about getting back to business and saying, you know what, I've got to get to work. Very interesting uh, what's going on for you. I need to get to work. Or I've got two minutes to the nonstop talker. After two minutes, okay, thanks a lot. Now I need to get back to what I was doing. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like not being pulled into their behavior. Same with the person who's too rude to you. Instead of saying, oh, I can't believe, you know, personalizing her refusal to be kind or say thank you or please, just letting her be, setting the boundary, letting her be who she is and continuing on with your day. Very interesting. Well, let's, uh, just in the last couple of minutes here, let's talk about uh, the last one, which is group mean. And, you know, I think uh, a number of us, uh, again, going back to childhood, uh, experienced wanting to be a part of a clique. 
and perhaps even muscling our way in. I was the one who who muscled my way in to the popular girls group. Now, they didn't invite me, but I got myself invited. I was clever enough to do that. But I always knew that I wasn't a part of them, and they were still mean to me. So, uh, and and in in the business setting, I wasn't the one who who uh, you know naturally got invited to things. I was assigned to things, and you know I always had a leadership position. But I didn't realize until I left corporate America, you know, that my rebel tendencies, you know, were what didn't get me pulled in. And and people, you know, I, I perceived them being mean to me. So there, I think there are a couple of dynamics at play when you've got someone feeling left out and then a group actually, you know, purposefully being mean to them. So talk to us a little bit about the group mean. Well, group mean is very painful, and you're right. A lot of it you do see it in junior high and high school. And usually it's an alpha mean girl. There's one very mean girl, and then her girls that, you know, she gets to join her. And and those right. girls, if you meet them separately, are actually kind of nice, but mm-hmm. somehow they glob onto her. and. Right. And they do her dirty work. And it's it, it, when you go to work and you see this, you don't know what to do. You don't know whether to join them so that they won't pick on you or whether right. you, you don't know what to do. It's really frustrating. And we say, and we really mean this, that an organization that allows this to happen is an organization that is mismanaged. Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> when there's a lack of management, that this is what can happen. So hopefully in most organizations this is not going on. Um Oh, Catherine, did you want to say something? No, I would just say the most important thing and the most difficult thing to do with this group mean is to learn how to not respond right. to whatever it is they're doing, whether they're whispering about you, gossiping about you, or you know, taunting in some way. Uh, we encourage documentation if it's, a, if it's a right. really an ongoing problem. And we also encourage, if you're going through this, to get help outside of the workplace because it is... It does a real number on your sense of self-worth and self-esteem. Sure. And you need, in order to to keep a brave front going on as you go into work, you need support on the back end. Right. And all of the women that we interviewed in this category, and we had several, um, eventually the alpha mean girl, She's, by the way, she's covering up for total inadequacy. Right. That's right. why she does this, because she's not competent. So she has to um, get her girls to, you know, around her so that she bullies anyone who is competent. Um, they either quit or they get fired eventually, and then the group breaks up. And it, most people we know have were not able to stick around long enough to see that. Right. It's that debilitating. <coughs> yeah. Well, Very I think you you certainly have have captured uh, the entire essence of mean, and you know, I think we can all look. <laughs> At, should we at, be proud uh, of that? <laughs> yes, yes. No, I think you should because you know if you if you don't recognize the behaviors, you can't set the boundaries. And you know, I, I think that that you've given people a lot of tools to work through it themselves. But I, I think what you just said at the end is that if it isn't something that you can deal with, first of all, documenting it, and and if you do have a formal HR group within your organization, and a lot of companies these days don't. Right, you know, right. HR is a, a function that is you know played by somebody in finance who you know processes new hires and does payroll and that kind of thing, and it's not the traditional HR uh, you know that companies had when times were different. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So what are what are some parting words that you guys would like to give to our listeners about this? Well, I want to say actually the, an important thing, which is that we understand that women work extremely well together for the most part, that they do form solid friendships and relationships with each other, and that a, a strong woman-to-woman partnership or team, is there's nothing better than that. And then that the dark side of that is that we do tend to care too much. And so if anything, we really caution and encourage women to go into their workplace and their workplace relationships, as Kathy mentioned before, to be friendly without becoming friends and to take your time to let other women earn your trust and to be aware that there are going to be competitive women with whom you will have to deal. Kathy? My parting words are don't take so much personally other people's behavior, um, you know, and don't counterattack. This is really my big message is don't counterattack. Cool off. Look at the situation objectively. Most of the times she doesn't mean it. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to attack back and hold resentments and get angry. Just let most of it go. It's not your friends. It's not your family. You can let a lot of it go and be productive at work. Right. Well, Kathy and Catherine, it has been terrific. The book, again, is Mean Girls at Work, How to Stay Professional When Things Get Personal. And Kathy and Catherine are part of, um, and and give us, why don't you guys give us the URL of where you can be reached and uh, what the best way is to to follow uh, what I'm hoping will lead to your next book. You can find us at ksquaredenterprises.com. It's the letter K and then Squared Enterprises. And Mean Girls is available everywhere, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Um, And if you go to our website, you can contact us that way, and we'd love to hear anything you have to say, opinions, stories, anything. Terrific. And and for our Executive Girlfriends Group members, the, the book is available on the Executive Girlfriends Group bookstore and uh, Kathy and Catherine's personal contact information is available to our members on our private platform. So, guys, I so appreciate uh, your time, and especially since uh, you being in New York are are recovering not only from uh, the hurricane but also the the snow that you guys just got uh, dumped on you. That's right. uh, I just hope you have a an amazing weekend and that uh, the weather gets better and better and better instead of worse. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, uh, that will be the conclusion of our recorded portion of the call. So for those of you who joined us today, next week we will be broadcasting live from the Miami Book Fair. And so take a look at we're doing some additional uh, shows throughout the week and would love to have you join us. So take care and have a great weekend. Are we disconnected?